This is The Political Scene, and I'm David Remnick. Joshua Yaffa has reported from Russia for a decade. He covered the country's tragic slide toward dictatorship under Vladimir Putin. And recently, Josh filed a piece that was quite unusual for him, a very personal story. The Russian government arrested a friend of his, Evan Gershkovich, a fellow journalist who was reporting for the Wall Street Journal. Russia's security agency says it has arrested a U.S. journalist working for the Wall Street Journal in Moscow on charges of... The charge against Gershkovich was espionage, quite obviously a false charge. For years, Putin has been suppressing Russian journalists, closing down one outlet after another, even as foreign correspondents were still able to report the news freely. But the arrest of Evan Gershkovich is the first time the Kremlin has imprisoned an American reporter supposedly for spying since the 1980s. What was once a tactic of Cold War politics has returned under Vladimir Putin. I spoke last week with Joshua Yaffa. Josh, when did you first hear this horrible news about Evan? It would have been, I guess, the day after we now know he was arrested in Yekaterinburg. I woke up to the news going around Telegram channels, Twitter, that American reporter had been arrested in Russia. Quickly became clear that American reporter was Evan. And then began the frantic texts with friends, colleagues, our circle of people who know Evan were close to him. Uh, from Moscow and beyond, trying to figure out, frankly, what the hell had happened. Now, the first time Evan was seen publicly after that was a few weeks later when he appeared in court with his lawyers. Yeah, because it's Russia, he was brought to something called the Akvarium, this kind of glass cage where defendants are held during court proceedings. And so there were these pictures and video of our friend Evan in the aquarium. And it was painful and 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 um outrageous frankly to see him that way but also it was just so surreal i mean how many times has evan how many times have i how many times have we all been in a courtroom with our notepads out looking at someone in the aquarium and writing our story about yet another political case yet another act of political repression against the kremlin's enemies it's always seemed to me that there is a similar closeness uh, and competitiveness and a kind of community among the pretty few foreign correspondents that are that are there. Just what was the life like in Moscow and what was your relationship with Evan like? Well, I moved to Moscow in 2012. Um, Evan came in 2017, full of ideas, energy, ambition, a really fun guy, nice guy really into journalism, really into Russia. He has this legacy, family legacy from his parents who emigrated to the U.S. in the 1970s. Did he grow up speaking Russian in the house? Yeah, yeah, he spoke Russian in the house. A kind of funny Russian, a bit frozen in amber that Uh he had to kind of de-thaw. He's much more a student of Russian slang Maybe it's mm-hmm. the fact that he's you know a few years younger than me, hung out with a younger, cooler crowd of people in Moscow. But but I envy how quickly <laughs> he integrated. Where, where did people hang out? Gosh, I mean that's the thing about Moscow too. In these sort of late you know pre-war period, is that it actually had the trappings um, in, a, in a quality of life sense as like a fun happening, almost European city, right? I mean, or the illusion of that was was really available. So you had like great bars, great parks, uh, like a food scene that was really developing the Michelin Guide uh, had an event in Moscow launching the first ever Russian uh, rankings of, of Michelin restaurants in Russia. 
there were these people, you know, making exquisite Michelin food with Sakhalin crab and, you yeah. know, caviar and reindeer from uh, Karelia. And, and, Fantastic. Um, it's not that I, Ivan and I were eating reindeer every night, but still, um, the point is, um, you know, Moscow, especially for um, a young, uh, funny, happening, smart, charming guy like Evan in your late 20s was just a, you know, a cool place to live. And it, um, he was excited about being there, not just because he liked banya and bars, but because banya, he had Banya this, being steam, steam baths where you get hit right. by eucalyptus branches and all the rest. Right. Where you have to go clean out um, those toxins after a night in uh, Moscow, Moscow bars. I remember understanding early on for me, this is before even Evan came to town, that, that Moscow might be my kind of town. When shortly after I arrived, I was invited to a press breakfast, and the hour that it was called for was noon. Um, so, <laughs> but that's typical. Uh, that's the, yeah. right, right. So that's the, but that's the kind of, but it's also the place where you know people are still working at nine p.m. and you know meet for um, dinner and drinks at ten p.m. Josh, what was Evan reporting in those years as the Putin government was moving more and more toward autocracy? Well, I think he had a really deep and nuanced sense of Russia. He he was very clear-eyed, as we all were, about the, the big macro-level political trajectory of Russia. He covered the story of protests in the summer of 2019, in which uh, people were chased around the streets of Moscow by riot police. He was both, you know, deeply embedded with the opposition, uh, but knew people across Russian society. I mean, he was covering that story and knew all about it. But mm. he also had a found the time or rather found the the interest to find other stories like going to Urdmurtia, a, a region I still can't um, <laughs> pronounce apparently all that well in Russia, where he wrote about dying languages, the last speakers mm. of some indigenous languages in, in remote parts of Russia and the way that these people were fighting after the Soviet legacy and the Putin one uh, to keep these languages uh, alive at, at, at great uh, difficulty and cost to themselves. And that, I, I remember, is just such a great Russia story. Anyone can come and do the Moscow protests story, the big political story, Navalny and so on, sure. right? But you have to know the place, care about it, and have this Vision is the word that keeps coming to mind for me of, of being able to sort of scan the horizon and see, oh, that's that's happening and that's a story and, and I know how to do it. Were you ever in a competitive story with Evan? I remember this would have been the summer, I guess, of 2021 uh, um, when there were big, huge wildfires in Yakutia for a while, right? Like this was the story of the moment, of course, in now the, in the context in the, of the, in the war. In the Far East, yeah. Right, yeah, deep in, in Siberia. And this was like the big story in, in Russia, these incredibly um, destructive forest fires with huge implications, actually, just not for Russia, but for, for the planet. And I was working on a story set in Yakutia at the same time. My story had more to do with permafrost, also affected by fire, but not quite the same thing. But but Evan was really um, uh, dedicated to writing about these, these fires and their impact on local uh, communities. You have to have a specific idea of fun to think that going up in Soviet era, like propeller planes flying through wildfire smoke is like uh, a good time that you're jealous on having missed out on. But, but Evan was up there with the firefighters, um, going uh -huh. to these, landing at these remote airstrips, camping in the fields with them actually under incredible heat with smoke. I remember at the time I was also in Yakutia, but here I am looking at like, ground that's taking a millennia to thaw. I mean, it's not the most dramatic thing to look at a bunch of soil that, I mean, uh, you know, supposedly it's uh, the implications are, they are uh, quite dramatic, but it's, you know, it doesn't have the same adrenaline. And it's not just about adrenaline. I mean, he got really visceral, important first-person journalism. 
Josh, eventually, like you and a lot of other journalists who were based in Moscow, Evan ultimately had to leave Russia. But he still did some reporting from inside the country during the war. Yeah, he went back over the summer for a reporting trip. He went back for another reporting trip. And, and, and that's the way um, he and, and others in the Western press corps who continued to report from Russia worked, going in on reporting trips and writing stories that, that were really deep and revelatory and, and, and tactile and I think brought to light in a way that I just as a reader found really interesting. I remember a story he did from Pskov in northwestern Russia, uh, a town that is home to a number of military units that suffered extraordinarily heavy losses in Ukraine. And he found a city that was scared and traumatized, but also in a very macabre way, had, had come around to convince itself of the merit of the war, that was telling itself a narrative about the war's virtue, its, its importance. And Evan wrote a really moving and, and dark and disturbing but important story from, from Peskov. And he was able to do that kind of work. Evan was not sanguine or, or Pollyannish or naive about the context in which he was working. He understood this was a very different Russia than the one he had arrived to in 2017. I mean, he understood that the climate for journalism had become much more fraught. But still, within that, there was no reason to think that foreign journalists would be targeted by Russian law enforcement. We could cover the Navalny protests. And there was even some cases where foreign journalists were swept up by the riot police and thrown in a police van from the streets covering these protests. But usually by waving a foreign press card at the police, you were let out and you could go on your way. And, and so it felt like, you know, rightly or not, it was almost kind of un, un, an uncomfortable privilege to have. And, and, and for all that time, the precedent held that somehow Western reporters were safe. The worst thing that could happen to them was their visa might not be renewed. You know, they would be kicked out of the country, forced to, uh, or barred from, from entering Russia to report. So this clear violation of precedent, a, a really escalatory step, obviously contains a very strong kind of message of political intent on the part of the Kremlin, and I think Putin himself. You know, the, the rules have changed. We're still left guessing at what this all means and what we're supposed to understand by it. But but this is such a dramatic break from precedent that it doesn't happen accidentally. I was the same age he was when I was in Moscow. And I can't imagine the fear that my parents would have felt if I were in Lefortova prison, a notorious prison. And there is your son in the midst of this horrific political situation in which Putin is using your son as trade bait. You've talked to Evan's parents, I know. What is their life like? And what is their sense of what Evan's life is like inside of the fort of a prison? Of course, it's um, fear, fear of the unknown, um, fear of what is Evan's life like right now, like right in this very second, right? Mm -hmm. How is he doing? How is he feeling? Will there be a trial? How long could that take? Will there be a trade, what everyone is pointing to and speculating about? How long can that all take? And I think that all that uncertainty, of course, is, is really crushing for or can be for, for a parent. But I also want to say that they have real dignity and, and, and bravery and courage in, in facing this and doing what 
they can uh, to support their son and, um, and, and try and get him home and, and, and to keep themselves um, sane and strong in, in the process. Josh, if you could get a message to Evan, what would you tell him? Um, well, I, I do, I hope, get messages to Evan. I've been sending him letters. I tell him how proud I am uh, of him. Of course, how worried I am about him, but mainly how impressed if that's the right word, I am in, in how he's handling the situation with, with dignity, courage, humor of all things, right? I mean, somehow the strength of Evan's character is such that, that, that he's finding ways to crack a smile, even crack a joke. All I can do, and, and that's what I've also told Evan in these letters, is to just talk about him wherever I can on this podcast for The New Yorker, a piece I wrote um, the day after Evan was was arrested and, and, and keep his name in people's minds, um, in the minds of people in Washington, to, so that everyone knows and Evan knows that, that we're waiting for him to come home. And, and, and hopefully that in some way gets him home a little bit faster. Josh Yaffa, thanks so much. Thank you, David. Thank you. 